Hello and welcome to the broadcast. Matthew Arnold here, No Nonsense Catholic, and good to have you with us. Got a lot to talk about today, including an article from Father Regis Scanlon from back in August of 2019. I was actually looking for something else, and I ran across this article uh, yesterday, and it turned out to be, I'm going to say genuinely, authentically prophetic. And it really just everything in it just made so much sense to me. And so I'm going to ask you a question here. What do the prayer to St. Michael, the third secret of Fatima, and COVID-19 have in common? We're going to find out later in the program. Also going to talk about the modern epidemic of sins of the flesh and how that ties in also. Uh, Terry and uh, Paul Clay on the Terry and Jesse show just preceding this broadcast mentioned Our Lady of Akita, talked about that a little bit, and that prophecy enters in as well. So we're going to look at all of those things, but before we do, we're going to start uh, with an examination and a little bit of commentary on the readings from the uh, Holy Mass last Sunday in the extraordinary form, which was the third Sunday after Epiphany. And so we're going to start with the epistle of St. Paul to the Romans, it's taken from chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. And again, uh, uh, something that I think are comments that he makes that are particularly pertinent for our time. I think there's um, about 75 million Americans who are a little disappointed the way the um, uh, presidential election turned out and the obvious turn that the country is uh, going to be taking as a result. So I think maybe these words of St. Paul will speak to you. Brethren, be not wise in your conceits, to no man rendering evil for evil, providing good things not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as in you having peace with all men, not revenging yourselves, my dearly beloved, but give place unto wrath. For it is written, Revenge is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But if thy enemy be hungry, give him to eat. If he thirst, give him drink. For doing this, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. And here's the, uh, the ultimate verse. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. What an important message for Catholics today, especially Catholics here in the United States of America. So we're going to take a look at, uh, at, at this epistle, beginning with the words, Revenge is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. What do these words mean? Well, for one thing, it means that God alone has the right to vengeance and that we should not presume to take it into our own hands. <clears throat> now, of course, many people do not have the patience to wait on the Lord in that regard. So St. Ambrose, one of the four great Latin doctors of the church, along with uh, Jerome and Augustine and St. Gregory the Great, he says, are you impatient? Then you will be conquered. But if you suffer in patience, then you will be conqueror. So the, the question comes up, what should we do if our honor is attacked, our, our own personal, you know, in, in a serious matter? And when injury by others, you know, brings serious consequences, then yes, it's not only permissible, but it's actually a duty to defend yourself, to defend your honor 
and to defend your good name. And, and that's especially if God's honor or your own good or your neighbor's good requires it. But in matters of less importance, we should just leave our assailants to God, according to the words of St. Paul. It also means that it is wrong to wish our neighbor the evil that he has wished upon us. I really don't think that any of the, the people that I know were wishing evil on our uh, you know, people, our political opponents, and people who have a different idea about the right way to govern the country. But, you know, maybe not so much on the other side. I remember uh, not too long ago, our newly installed vice president said that all you people who supported Trump, you'd better watch out because, you know, the, the, your comeuppance is, is nigh. That's my paraphrase, obviously. Um, I don't think she could manage the word comeuppance. But uh, the point is that, um, you know, there are people who are now in their sights because they supported the uh, previous administration. Even people in business, right? I'm sure you've heard about the, uh, the MyPillow founder uh, being his product being banned from these various large chains. Not because it isn't a good product. Not because it isn't popular. But because he doesn't have the right kind of politics. He doesn't think the right thoughts. Therefore, he needs to be removed uh, from, from commerce, from life. That's the whole cancel culture business. We don't get to indulge in that. Simply put, I know that it's terrible that people treat you that way, but you do not get to respond in kind. So what he says, you know, it's contrary to the law of God. Uh, God commands us to love our enemies, to do good to them that hate us, to pray for them that persecute and calumniate us. That's in Matthew 5, verse 44, from the the lips of our Savior himself. But St. Paul says when we do good, when we respond to evil with kindness, that we heap coals of fire on the heads of our enemies. Now, what's he talking about? Well, what he's saying is that when we act according to the will of God and render good for evil, that we are, you know, we're confounding our enemies and we're causing them, you know, to burn with shame. Like St. Augustine says, you'll heap burning coals of love on his head for nothing sooner begets love than to meet one with love. But what about the person that, that has no shame? What about the person that doesn't care? Well, you know, unfortunately, that person may well be headed for a fire that never goes out. And that's why St. Paul says, um, you know, in, in the words of our Lord, revenge is mine, I will repay. And so we should remember to, to pray to our Heavenly Father for the grace to follow these admonitions of St. Paul in regard to love of enemies, so that we can fulfill that instruction of Christ to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, who maketh the sun to shine upon the evil and upon the good, maketh the rain to, to fall upon both. In other words, to treat everyone the same, to treat your enemies like your friends. Okay, and now the gospel according to St. Matthew, it's taken from verse or chapter 8, rather, verses 1 through 13. And it's kind of long. It's just got, actually has two episodes in it. At that time, when Jesus was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and adored him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, stretching forth his hand, touched him, saying, I will 
Be thou made clean. And forthwith his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith to him, See thou tell no man, but go thyself to the priest and offer the gift which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And when he had entered into Capernaum, there came to him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy and is grievously tormented. And Jesus saith to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion making answer said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man subject to authority, having under me soldiers, and I say to this, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doth it. And Jesus, hearing this, marveled, And said to them that followed him, Amen, I say to you, I have not found so great faith in Israel. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into the exterior darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, And as thou hast believed, so be it done to thee. And the servant was healed at that same hour. Thus far the words of the Holy Gospel. Now that's Matthew's version. Actually, St. Luke has a little addition. He says um, that the servant of the centurion being sick and ready to die, that the centurion had heard of Jesus and sent to him the ancients of the Jews, desiring him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him earnestly, saying to him, He is worthy that thou shouldst do this for him. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends to him, saying, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy thou shouldst enter under my roof. So it's the same story, but it has these little details in it that Matthew left out. And I would uh, uh, suggest that there's a, a reason for that. We know that the, all the gospel writers wrote to a specific audience and that they wrote using their own talents and, and their own, uh, uh, you know, uh, abilities and so forth. They, they, were, they were instruments, but they were fully human instruments. And so Matthew was writing especially to a Jewish audience right there in the first century. And so he avoided things that would be uh, needlessly provocative. In other words, where, where uh, St. Luke will talk about the kingdom of God, Matthew says kingdom of heaven, because the Jews didn't say the word of God out loud or write it down, right? That's why Caiaphas was so, was so uh, um, uh, you know, had such a violent reaction at the trial of Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, uh, you know, Caiaphas asked Jesus, art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, thou hast said it, Right? which means like, yes, I am. Yeah, you, you know, as you said, so it is. But, you know, we get to John's account and we see, and of course, John was the only one of the apostles that was actually within earshot. And Caiaphas says, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, I am, which was the very word of God. So you can see that there were reasons why Matthew avoided those things. But I added those little uh, extra details because we'll talk about them in the commentary when we come back with lots more right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, No-Nonsense Catholic. Stick with us. We'll be back right after this.
Okay, giving thanks for that video element. Glad to be back here on No Nonsense Catholic Virgin Most Powerful Radio. The YouTube people will know what I'm talking about. Uh, we're talking about um, from the last segment, Luke's uh, or Matthew rather, uh, and the Matthew's Gospels version of the cure of the leper and the centurion's servant. And so we begin with um, the man that comes to Jesus is a leper. And St. Luke's gospel calls him full of leprosy, which means that he would be, you know, afflicted in, in, uh, in its worst form. You know, even Satan couldn't think of anything worse to do to Job than to afflict him with leprosy. Because in addition to the, you know, the physical sufferings caused by leprosy, which are, you know, immense, you also have to take into consideration um, the hardness of the Jewish law at the time. You know, a leper was considered ritually unclean. So he couldn't enter the temple, he couldn't go to synagogue, he couldn't offer sacrifice. In fact, he couldn't have discourse with anyone who was not unclean like himself. And of course, leprosy is also contagious. And in the ancient world, there wasn't any antibiotics. So they didn't have any uh, real treatment for it. So uh, lepers were required when they came into a town or any place where people were gathered, they had to... uh, you know, like uh, uh, hit a cowbell or they would have a, a big ratchet or clappers. Pretty much all of the noisemakers that uh, that we use on New Year's Eve have their origin uh, in in the, uh, the leprosy uh, of, you know, the medieval area that, era that people had to make this noise, let people know they were coming so they could make themselves scarce and not have any uh, contact with the lepers. Now, in ancient Israel, if you were cured of your leprosy, then you had to report to a priest at Jerusalem, and then you were taken to the Mount of Olives to be examined. And if the priest pronounced that you were clean, then the former leper now had to go and offer a lamb uh, in sacrifice in the temple, and then he would be sprinkled with the blood of the lamb mixed with uh, holy oil, with consecrated oil. And then he was pronounced clean and restored to his rights as a member of the uh, of the community, so that's that's a lot. That's a big burden, and uh, you know, a, a big uh, a responsibility placed on these people, even if they get cured. So the leper comes to Jesus and he says, "Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean." And what he's saying is that he believes Jesus is the Messiah. So again, we never use the word Lord in the New Testament except in relation to God. So he's saying, you, you, I know you're divine. I know you personally have the power to heal me. Now, and you can imagine how eager he was to, to uh, you know, and how he must have implored Jesus because he really believed that he could cure him uh, if only he would do so. And that's the thing, when we pray, the message here is that we have to be careful not to advise God how to answer our prayers. But, but you know, like the lepers say, if thou wilt, if, um, if it be thy will, give me this or that grace. You know, if, it, if it's for my uh, salvation, for your greater glory, right? Always try and pray within the will of God. And then Jesus, of course, says, I will be thou made clean. So he said this to reveal his almighty power and to show that all things are in fact subject to him. And yet he reaches out his hand to touch the leper. Why? We know that he could have cured him with just a word. He's going to do exactly that thing in the very next episode with the uh, centurion servant. 
So why does he reach out to touch him? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, even though he didn't have to, he wanted to give that leper and everyone else a physical sign that he was going to be healed. And, and again, touching a leper would make you ritually unclean. It was unheard of for a Jew to touch a leper. But yet here, our Lord touches the leper. And not only does our Lord not become unclean, it's the opposite. The leper becomes clean. You know, and that's the thing, you know, an example that we need to look at when we assist each other in our sickness, to, to not shrink from this work of charity, to not shirk our, our duty in this regard because of, you know, aversion to the sickness or because of, of, you know, fear of catching it ourselves. You know, somebody needs to read this to President Biden. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, and <laughs> according to the gospel, forthwith, his leprosy was cleansed. The, 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 the leprosy is cleansed in that hour. Right? It's a miraculous cure, and he's delivered from his sufferings. But Jesus says, see thou tell no man, but go to the priest. Right? He says, don't put off going to the priest to, for, for his judgment. Because, you know, in other words, our Lord wanted the, the healing to be a matter of the priest's testimony. Right? People could say to the leper, oh, how do we know you ever really had leprosy? You know, you're, but they're not going to discount the, the witness of the priest. And so he tells him to go. And, and he also wants to show his respect for the Mosaic law. And, and it also teaches us that our own priests deserve their proper respect. He tells him to go see the priest to offer the gift of, you know, the lamb. And, and to do this as a testimony unto them. In other words, as a witness, firstly, that Christ has actually healed him, and secondly, that he admonished him to obey the precepts of the law. And it shows, and it's that Jesus is saying, I'm no enemy of the law, and I'm no enemy of the priesthood either. And so he sent this miraculously cured man to the unbelieving priest in order that the priest would be convinced by this fellow's account of what happened that Jesus was the Messiah and God. Now, moving on to the centurion. He's a centurion. He's a pagan officer attached to the garrison at Capernaum, or Capernaum. And we know from Luke's account that he, is, um, he was a Gentile, but he believed in the God of the Jews because he'd built them a synagogue. And that's why in Luke's account, the ancients or the elders um, are asked by, the, you know, these leading men of the synagogue are asked by the centurion to go to Jesus and speak uh, on his account, Right. He sent them to Jesus first, because as a pagan, he didn't dare approach this miracle worker of Israel, you know, this great prophet. And they pleaded for him, saying, he's worthy that you should help him. So Jesus says, okay, I will come and heal him. Because, you know, one thing's clear, and that's that it wasn't possible to bring the sick man to Jesus, or he would have done that. And, and I think that we can take it for granted that the centurion had done everything humanly possible to... to um, heal the sick man, to cure him. And so Jesus really shows a profound humility uh, because although he's God, I mean, he's king of kings and lord of lords, but he doesn't hesitate to visit a poor servant in the home of a Gentile. Because again, like touching a leper, going to the house of a Gentile is one of those things that would make you ritually unclean. So it's the centurion who says, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should enter under my roof. Right? He says this also out of humility. He's acknowledging Jesus to be God. And likewise, he's acknowledging that it wasn't necessary 
for Jesus to come to his house. Right? He says, speak the word. Right? Just the one word. That's all that's necessary. And my servant shall be healed. And the centurion knows this because he says, I am a man subject to authority, which in this context means uh, 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 is placed in authority. Right? So he has men under him. And he wants to, uh, acknowledging you know, Christ's power, he says, when I command those under me to do something, they do it right away. But how much more will you be obeyed? When you, you know, command this, the disease and the approaching death of my servant to depart, I know they will because you're not just a man and you're not subject to anyone. And that is why Jesus says, well, the scripture says he marveled and said to those that followed, right? He's talking about the ancients and the elders. Luke t- lets us know that um, he says, I have not found such faith in Israel. In other words, I have not found the faith of this Gentile amongst my own people. And so he says, then many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, you know, etc. And heaven is often compared to a banquet, right? Because it's going to be joyous. It's going to be a celebration. There's going to be peace and satisfaction there. Uh, and and here Christ is saying, look, there's, there's unbelievers are going to uh, receive the gospel. Gentiles are going to receive the gospel and they're going to live according to it and thereby they are going to gain the kingdom of heaven while there are many Jews who are the children, uh, the descendants of Abraham, who are the chosen people of God, uh, th- those for whom the messianic kingdom was promised in the first place and because of their unbelief and because of their sins, they'll be cast out into exterior darkness. The darkness which is outside the kingdom of heaven. In other words, I mean, he's talking about hell, where there will be gnashing of teeth, you know, uh, this, this anguish brought on by their misery. And the gospel uh, is a powerful reminder uh, for us to pray that God grant us the faith and the confidence of the leper, that we would always trust in Christ's almighty power and that we would give ourselves up to his divine will. And likewise, to pray for the humility of, of the centurion, that we will love and assist our neighbor, and particularly those of our own household and our own family, and the poor and the sick, and to do it for the love of God, and thereby gain an eternal reward. All right, now we've got the uh, commentary on this, and then we're going to talk about the article that I discovered uh, just yesterday from Father Regis Scanlon. It goes back to August of 2019. And actually, the, the commentary that I'm going to make, especially regarding the leper, it ties directly into that and directly into the situation that we find ourselves in today. So um, the commentary, first off, the divinity of our Lord is, is proved here by, through two different miracles. And we can see how they're connected, that, that uh, Jesus has his power and that he can reach out and touch us, but he need not do that. Okay. Now, the leper believed in his divinity, right? He didn't say, oh, Jesus, please pray to God that I be made clean. He says, no, you, you can make me clean if thou wilt. In other words, it only depends on on his will to cure him, right? Because you can do it if you want to. And Jesus confirmed that by saying, I will. I do will it. Be clean. And so we see there also the power of, uh, of intercession, uh, because of the, the centurion. But uh, hang on a second. Sticking with this, 
And when our Lord says, I will, he showed that he could make the sick man will just by his own desire. In other words, he showed his omnipotence. And then he manifested that omnipotence by curing the centurion's servant without even seeing him, just through the power of intercession. And then also our Lord's prophecy about the extension of the kingdom, that is to say his church, over the whole world. He said, you know, that many shall come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham and so on. That's another proof of his divinity. Because the Gentile centurion believed, you know, whereas the Pharisees and many of their followers would not believe. And our Lord prophesied that Gentiles all over the world would believe in him and become the spiritual children of Abraham and possess the kingdom of heaven. While, on the other hand, uh, many of the Israelites, who are the real descendants of Abraham and who were called to the kingdom of heaven before anyone else, would not, as a body, believe and be saved. And note that I say as a body, because obviously all the first Christians were Jews, but the chosen people as a whole did not convert. Okay, back with the rest of our commentary and the answer to the question, will the Pope and the bishops save us from the coming chastisement? That and more when we return with No Nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. The confusion stops here. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're discussing the cure of the leper and the centurion's servant, looking at the commentary here. And the next thing is the goodness and the compassion of our Lord Jesus. Uh, Our Lord didn't drive the leper away from him, as anybody else, you know, would have done, but rather... And this is from St. Mark's version of the story. He says, he had compassion on him. And he touched this one who was counted as unclean. And it's the same today. Jesus doesn't drive sinners away from him if only they will believe and do penance. See, leprosy is a type of sin. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. And our Lord was quite ready also to go and visit uh, the centurion's home to heal his sick servant. But in our case, he condescends not only to come into our house, but into our very hearts in Holy Communion. He comes to us to, to strengthen us and, and to keep us in his grace. And that's why at you know, Holy Mass, we repeat the words of the centurion. Domini non sum dinius, ud intra subtectum meum, setantum dic verbo et senabitur anima mea. Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof, but only say the words, and my soul shall be healed. In the traditional Latin Mass, the priest says these words three times, the Domini non sum dies, uh, before he receives Holy Communion. Then he holds up the host, turns to the congregation, holds up the host, and says he, Ecce agnus Dei. Ecce agnus Dei, Ecce quitolis peccata mundi. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. And then we repeat with him that threefold Domini non sum dinius before he administers uh, communion. So faith in the real presence makes us humble, just as faith in Christ made the centurion humble. You know, the Jewish elders, the ancients, came to Jesus and, and, and said to him about the centurion, he's worthy that thou shouldst uh, help him. But the centurion himself said to Jesus, Lord, I am not worthy. He felt his sinfulness and his insignificance in the presence of Jesus. 
who's, who's holy and almighty. It's like uh, St. Peter uh, at the time of the miraculous draft of fish when he says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. This is part of what we talk about um, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fear of the Lord. You know, I, and so many people today say, well, that means awe. You know, that means awe in God's presence, awe and wonder. But what is, what is awe? When have you experienced awe? And it's, it's not unrelated to fear. Um, for example, if you were to stand, you know, and, and see an oncoming tidal wave, awe is what you would feel, but it would not be divorced from, from fear. Or even, you know, to be in the desert and look at the, the immensity of the night sky and know that God is infinitely greater than that. Right? These are, these are those feelings of awe. And, and it makes us recognize our insignificance compared to God and say, you know, who am I that you should care for me? And yet he does. Um, also, the, uh, the command of Jesus to submit to the priests. Christ would not have cured the leper if he had refused to show himself to the priest. And in the same way, uh, for us today, nobody obtains the absolution of their sins committed after baptism unless they reveal them, uh, those sins to the priest in confession. Right? So we can see all these, all these types uh, being fulfilled in the church. Also, we, we see the virtues of the centurion. First is compassion, of course. Um, in Latin, the word for servant is servus, and literally that means slave. So the centurion servant is, you know, I mean, is a human being that he purchased. Uh, you know, somebody that he bought with money. And, and if he had died, he could have easily bought someone else to replace him. And I, and I say easily because we can assume he was uh, a rich man, not only because of his importance as a centurion, but because of the fact that he had money enough to build a synagogue uh, for the Jews. But this is a man with a compassionate heart. He was full of pity for his slave, which, you know, and, and the scripture tells us he was suffering this acute pain and he wanted to do what he could to help him. And his kindness of heart then also is a stark contrast to the, the, the uh, hardness of heart of the scribes and Pharisees, you know, that we read about, say, in Matthew 23. And, and so this is an example of the beatitude, blessed are the merciful, because God blessed him with that cure of his, of his servant. Another thing is, Praying, uh, pray, praying, thank you. I've just uh, coined a new word. Prayers for our benefactors, right? The city uh, ancients plead for the cause of the centurion because he'd built them a house of prayer because they, in gratitude. And so we should also pray to God on behalf of our benefactors, not just people that help us financially, not just our, our employer or whatever, but especially for our parents, for our godparents, for our pastors, for our teachers, all those people that give us that, uh, that gift of faith and help to, to form us as Christians. You know? And this is an obligation of, of the fourth commandment from whence proceeds the, the gift and the virtue of piety. And then uh, we also see here the power of intercession uh, because the centurion is interceding for his servant. The ancients prayed our Lord to, to grant the centurion's uh, petition. And these prayers obviously were not made in vain because Jesus yielded to them and did affect the cure. That shows us the power of intercession. And finally, finally, leprosy, as I mentioned, is a type of sin. Leprosy disfigures the body and makes it, well, I mean, I, I don't mean to be 
blunt or in compassion, but it makes it uh, uh, hideous. And in the same way, mortal sin uh, defaces the soul, which is the image of God, because it deprives it of sanctifying grace and makes it horrible in the eyes of God. I remember uh, um, C.S. Lewis said, I'm paraphrasing here, but what he said basically was, every person that you have ever met will, you know, spend, if you could see the way they would spend eternity, you would be tempted to either fall down on your face in adoration or recoil in horror. And that's what's, that's what we're talking here about that, that as leprosy is a type of sin. Um, you know, it, as leprosy, uh, let's see, it enfeebles the body and makes it unfit for work. And sin renders us incapable of performing meritorious works for our salvation. Leprosy caused uh, pain and fear and depression. And sin, likewise, it destroys our interior peace and, and creates uh, uh, remorse of conscience, fear of death and judgment. And leprosy was contagious. And on this account, lepers were avoided by everybody, as we mentioned before. Well, sin's contagious too. And that's why we should avoid the company of those who uh, are for us an occasion of sin. It's like St. Thomas Aquinas said, knowing whom to avoid is a great means of saving our souls. And the leper had to show himself to the priest and expose his, his you know, breast, his face, his arms, before he could be pronounced clean and restored to uh, the society of the faithful. And likewise, the sinner uh, has to go to the priest who is the representative of God, who is acting in the person of Christ and revealed to him by a sincere confession his sins, uh, his sinful thoughts, his words, his, his deeds before he can receive absolution and be restored to communion. And that's something I think that is sorely missing in our society today, and that's horror of sin. If committing sins made you look like a leper, you would be less likely to do it. And we don't, we don't have that horror of sin, and especially sins of the flesh, which was another thing that uh, has traditionally been um, associated with this reading. Lord, if thou will, thou canst make me clean. Uh, there's an old story of a, a Persian prince who uh, had a pet tiger. And, you know, he, uh, he used to, uh, he got it when it was a cub, and, and he brought it up, you know, fed it with his own hands. Um, he would walk around with it on a leash, and the, the tiger was so tame that children could come up and pet its head and be in no danger at all. And then one day, the prince and the tiger were, were playing with each other, and inadvertently, the tiger scratched the prince and tasted blood and ripped him apart. <laughs> and there's a moral to that. It is, it's the same thing with sins of impurity, that our lower instincts are aroused, and when they are, they can get the better of us if we're not careful. So in matters of purity, we need to watch for beginnings. We need to avoid those occasions of sin, have to be on our guard against little sins of impurity, because those little sins can easily lead to bigger ones, and then they become habits, and then habits harden into vices, and then they're almost impossible to eradicate. You don't put your purity in danger because impurity is like a tiger that will rip you apart once it's tasted blood. So the, the moral is don't feed blood to the tiger. And then there's another old story. In the uh, Middle Ages, it was believed that the ermine, right, is ermines have this beautiful white fur 
And if you've seen, you know, like kings or popes would have their royal robes and they'd be trimmed, <clears throat> pardon me, trimmed in that white fur. And it was the fur of the ermine. But it was believed that the ermine would not do anything to, to stain its coat. And that's why if you wanted to, to hunt or to catch an ermine, you would have to, uh, you know, box it into a corner where the only way out would be to go through the mud or through a swamp or something because it would have to run around because it wouldn't do anything to, uh, to stain its coat. And so you can learn a lesson from these two things. First, like I say, re- resist beginnings, resist the occasions of sin, don't feed the tiger blood, and then protect your purity from all stain. You know, pornography is obviously rampant, crazy rampant in our uh, world today. And it is always referred to rather euphemistically as adult entertainment, adult movies, right? Adult websites, adult entertainment. Now, I think it's rather immature, and so I don't know how appropriate that is, but we call it adult entertainment. But what did Jesus say? He said, unless you become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And he also said, blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. And that's why he loves children so much. And that's why we need to remember the prayer of the leper. Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. When we come back, we're going to be talking about that article I saw from Father Scanlon about these topics and how they relate to uh, prophecies and COVID-19 and the state of the world. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I ran across an article, and you know what? I'm sorry I got so uh, caught up in my biblical commentary. I don't think we're going to have time to do this justice, so I may spill over onto the next, uh, uh, next week's program. But I ran across this article from August of 2019 by Father Regis Scanlon called, Will the Pope and Bishops Save Us from a Coming Chastisement? And it was very interesting. One of the things he goes into that's how Our Lady of Fatima said that Catholics have to say the rosary every day and do penance so that people stop offending God. She told little Jacinta that most people went to hell because of the sins of the flesh. These are the most frequent sins that lead to eternal punishment. And if God was offended by those sins in 1917, <laughs> imagine how much more he's offended today. I mean, it, I think it's fair to say that in 1917, the sins of the flesh were considered deviant. Uh, but today the situation is worse because those sins, uh, including you know pornography, masturbation, contraception, fornication, adultery, sodomy, are actually considered normal. And abortion, which is often done to cover up the sins of the flesh, was considered, you know, it was rare in 1917. But from 1980 until today, the global number of abortions and the number of babies that have been killed in abortion is 1.5 billion with a B. All right. The point here is that mankind has obviously refused to repent of its sins of the flesh and evil doubled down by expanding those sins, both in kind and number, and exponentially. Now, uh, Father Scanlon, like I say, he's writing in August of 2019. You remember August 2019, um, here in the United States, we were experiencing the most robust economy uh, in the last, in my lifetime, right? Since I was, uh, the time I was born in the late 50s, we haven't had such a good economy. 
record unemployment numbers, record stock markets. Everything was chugging along like a, like a you know, freight train. But that was before somebody, uh, you know, any of us had ever probably even heard of Wuhan, China, and a little something called COVID-19, right? And by January, it was uh, declared a pandemic. Now, it's interesting because he's actually talking about, he talks about Fatima, he talks about Our Lady of Akita, and he also talks about, you know, how, how trustworthy these apparitions are because of their approval by, by the church and so forth, but that our, um, our Lady warned of horrible events that would happen if we didn't repent of these sins. Bishops opposing bishops, cardinals opposing cardinals, right? And that's only the beginning. And again, 50 years ago, who would have believed that? could even have happened, you know? Uh, um, and he said, if the rulers of the world and the church will not oppose these evils, this is the warning of Fatima and Akita, that God will allow a punishment in which millions will die and that a, a great part of humanity will be wiped out. But it seems, which you know, seems extreme, but that's the modern application of the scripture where St. Paul teaches in Romans 1 and Ephesians 5 that the wrath of God is being poured out upon those who practice unnatural sexual relations and impurity, right? That, that God allowing these things to happen, heck, is the punishment. These very sins for which we no longer have any horror, but many in our culture and even in our church actually approve. So he, he brings us down. He said, you know, you, you shouldn't recklessly seek sign from God. Uh, John the 23rd, when he opened the Vatican Council, said he, wanted, he didn't want to hear any more from the prophets of doom and gloom. But he said also we should be able to read the signs of the times. And Father Scanlon focuses in on a certain date, October the 13th, that connects all of these things. It was on October 13th, 1884, that Pope Leo XIII received a locution after Holy Communion, right? That, that Hearing God and the devil speak like in the book of Job, you know, where, where he said that uh, uh, the, the devil challenged God and said he could destroy the church if he would give him the power and 100 years. And so God permitted Satan to have the 100 years and the power, power probably to, to counterfeit, you know, to manifest God's glory in a counterfeit way. And so I, I take that to mean that the angel can, you know, create a counterfeit of the divine. Like St. Paul says, he can appear like an angel of light. And so after this locution, uh, Pope Pi, or Leo XIII composed the famous St. Michael prayer you know, to defend the church. He ordered it to be recited after every low mass. Now, we, uh, our bishop here in Orange has recently said, yeah, I want the, you know, at, at, after every mass, I want you to recite the prayer to St. Michael. Of course, in the traditional mass, since we say high mass, there isn't a place for it. So we do it in, uh, to begin the mass, or we do it before mass instead. But the point is, he says, that, uh, that Satan then has started that assault, that hundred years on October the 17th of 1917 with the beginning of the Bolshevik Revolution. But on the same day, um, in, in uh, October 13, 1917, Our Lady appeared at Fatima to warn the church about Satan's plan and said if the church and the leaders didn't oppose the sins of the flesh and the evils being spread by Russia, which were starting that day, that many nations would be annihilated and many souls would go to eternal punishment. And to convince them that the message could be trusted, God um, work to sign the famous miracle of the sun. And then flash forward to October the 13th, again, 1973, and Sister 
Agnes Sasagawa in a key to Japan. And again, Bishop Ito said that the uh, Akita warnings are the same as uh, Lady of Fatima. And she says um, there was a statue of, of the Blessed Virgin, and she saw an apparition in this chapel where our, the, our Lady cried, and she cried 101 times, right? And now the interesting thing is that, uh, uh, you know, all these October 13th markers are important. And if it, that 100 years began on October 17th, or October 13th, 1917, it should have ended in 2018. But Father Scanlon brings up the year of mercy, 2015 and 2016, when Pope Francis proclaimed, and, and uh, completely unprecedented, we've had holy years and jubilee years um, since the 1300s, but this is the first time that one has ever been dedicated entirely to mercy. And so Father Scanlon was suggesting that that year doesn't count. And so we have that 101 years, which accounts for the 101 uh, times that the statue cried and that uh, it was October of 2019 that the 100 years would end. And he asked the question, will the bishops and the pope do the things that uh, have been requested? And of course, now in, in 2020 hindsight, we can say, well, no. And so we can expect this chastisement. It's interesting to me, just a couple of things, that coincidentally, uh, it was during that year of mercy that Donald Trump got elected. And it was now that it's all over in 2019 that that's when all of the stuff uh, really started to happen, right? This all-out assault on traditional values, say, in social media platforms and the cancel culture and, and the, the nightly rioting that hasn't ended yet and, and all these uh, draconian restrictions supposedly to keep us safe from COVID-19, but that have already killed more people than the virus itself, not to mention the virtual surrender of the Catholic bishops to the world. I mean, not even the Black Plague stopped the, the, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And can you imagine if I had told you in October of 2019 that within less than a year, in less than a year, concerns over a virus from which more than 90% of people infected survive would lead to the closing of Catholic churches worldwide, that there'd be no Easter Mass, that it would drag on till Christmas, and that even as things now are, are opening up, only 5% of Catholics are going to Mass. You see, if this is not the beginning of the chastisement spoken about by Our Lady, uh, it'll do until it comes along. You know, back in August of 2019, Father Scanlon said, we must pray the rosary and do penance so that the Pope and the bishops will publicly and forcefully oppose sins of the flesh by name, which are so rampant throughout our society. And if they do so, perhaps mankind will wake up and repent and we will all escape a severe chastisement. But they didn't. And we won't. We had 101 years in which to do this when we were specifically instructed by Our Lady that that was the answer. And even with, a, even with an extra year of grace, uh, we didn't manage. And, you know, Father, again, before anybody had heard of COVID-19, when everything was chugging along so perfectly in the world, when we had this, this, this roaring economy and, and, and this, you know, uh, roaring stock market and all of that, he said, if they do not oppose these teachings, they do not oppose uh, these things, rather, the sins of the flesh and so forth, uh, 
they do not oppose them by name the way Our Lady asks, then, and God's loving mercy then is no longer open to mankind as a whole. Think about that. He's predicting that God's mercy is no longer going to be open to man. You know, God's not going to give us that protection. The hundred years is up. And I just heard, you know, I'm going to, I shouldn't tell tales out of school, but I have a friend in the medical profession. And I was saying how, you know, 90% of the people that get COVID survive it. He says, well, there's actually now a new mutant strain that has appeared in South Africa that is deadly, that could kill millions, the way the prophecies predict. Now, uh, I'm going to take that cum grano solace because they said the same thing about COVID-19 in the beginning that millions of people were going to die. But the potential remains. And like I say, Father Scanlon says, even if that uh, mercy isn't open anymore to mankind as a whole, that God's divine mercy will still be open to the individual person. And so that's why you and I, we're going to keep praying our rosary. We're going to do our best to be that 5% that, go, that goes to Mass. And, and if, it's, if it's humanly possible and goes before the Blessed Sacrament. And we're going to continue to pray no matter what and to love God no matter what and to live uh, the way that he prescribes and to stay in the state of grace if it's, if it's at all humanly possible. And in the words of the prophet Zephaniah, we will seek justice and humility and perhaps we may be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Now, I, I'm not here for gloom and doom, but that's no nonsense. We can see these things playing out right before our very eyes, and if bishop against bishop and cardinal against cardinal is just the beginning, then I'm afraid we're not talking in future tense anymore. I'm afraid that that's happening right now. So there's never been a time when it was more important for you to know your faith, defend your faith, and most especially live your faith. And that's no nonsense. Hey, that's pretty heavy right here at the end of the program, but I wanted to share it with you, and I'm glad that you were here with me so that we could. We're going to be back next week and do it all again. I want to say thank you to everybody that's been supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and if you'd like to give us a little help, you can always go to vmpr.org. That's our website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org, and you can uh, download the app. You can make a donation. You can access all of this stuff. That uh, is there for you from us as, uh, as our gift to you. And want to say thank you so much and to wish you until next time that God bless you and your family. <laughs>